Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 122. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm going to talk about the problem with suffering. Keep in mind you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use this to learn to be a better whatever you already are. So let's get started with a discussion around the koan that I shared in the last podcast episode. This is where a monk asked Tozan when he was weighing some flax, what is Buddha? Tozan said, this flax weighs three pounds. Now this is a this is a koan that I really enjoy because as I've mentioned before, the, the whole point of these koans at times seems to be, for me at least, that they're trying to get us out of conceptual thinking and back into the experiential, into the present moment. And that's exactly what this koan does. It's like you're in the middle of weighing some flax and someone says, what is Buddha? That's a concept. It's an idea. But you know what's real? This flax weighs three pounds. And that's exactly what the monk was, was teaching in this koan. And I think it's a, it's a really fun and a simple and a profound lesson that uh, the questions that we ask sometimes, sometimes it's the question that's the problem. In other words, sometimes the absurdity of the question merits an answer like this. You know, there's another koan that uh, the, the whole koan says, what is the color of wind? And that, to me, it's like, well, you could wrestle with that question all day long, but if you fail to understand that the, the problem with that is the question itself, that's just the wrong question. It's, it's an absurd question. But we do that. We have questions, and they entertain the thoughts in our minds, and they distract us from the experiential and this koan is one of those invitations to bring us back to reality. And in this specific case, reality is that this flax weighs three pounds. So I like this. It, it reminds me to stay mindful of, of the questions that I'm entertaining. Now, I think I've mentioned this in, in a previous podcast episode, but one of the things that really drew my attention to Buddhism in the first place was the focus on the questions rather than the focus on the answers, because I feel like a lot of ideologies focus so much on giving you the answers, uh, the answers to big existential questions, for example, what happens when we die, or why are we here, where did we come from? You're not going to find answers to those questions in uh, a tradition like Buddhism, because Buddhism is much more focused on the question. In fact, it would prioritize the question. And if you were to ask, well, what happens when I die? They would say it's more important to know why am I asking that question? Or why does that question matter so much to me? And that to me is, is a really fascinating way of thinking where you prioritize the question rather than focus on giving the right answer. And I think a lot of times these koans are trying to do that. Here you have a direct question, what is Buddha? And the answer that's given has nothing to do with the question because it's reminding you that the question was misguided in the first place because in real life, in that moment, one thing that's true, or at least that mattered in that moment, is that the flax seed weighs three pounds. And I love the uh, shift there. Uh, so that's... That's how I interpret that koan. For me in my own life, I often find myself in the position of the monk that's asking questions like, what is Buddha? 
what is enlightenment? What is suffering? Uh, can we eliminate suffering? Questions like that, or uh, what is God? Is there a God? You know, these, these are big questions. And that's not to say we should dismiss all questions. I love the idea of thinking deeply. And I'm glad that people have questions because those big questions lead to ideologies and philosophy and religions. And uh, it gives us something, something to work with and something to think about. So I'm not trying to minimize or dismiss the question. Uh, I'm trying to just emphasize that in this particular case, these koans are helping us to understand the importance of the experiential in the present moment versus the conceptual that's taking place somewhere that's not here and now with a question like, what is Buddha versus the flax weighs three pounds? It says right there, you know, a monk asked Tozan when he was weighing some flax. So here Tozan is doing something and he's being interrupted with a question that has nothing to do with what he's doing. So he's saying, the answer, this flax weighs three pounds, that's more important. And I, I just love that. I love the way of thinking there. So those are my thoughts on the koan from last week. But uh, this kind of leads into the topic that I wanted to discuss in, in the podcast episode today, the problem with suffering. And this kind of started with a question that I received. Someone was asking me, would an enlightened person still suffer or mourn over the loss of a loved one or over, uh, say, the pain of a broken bone or things of that nature? And in a way, it left me thinking of this koan because I had been thinking about the koan all week when that question came in. And I almost thought, well, there's no appropriate answer to the question because to me, that question is flawed. It, it's, not, it's not the right question. The real question would be, well, pertaining to whatever it is that we were doing in that moment. I started thinking about it later and thinking uh, about the problem with the word suffering, the problem with the word enlightenment, enlightened person. What is an enlightened person? Why would an enlightened person not suffer over the loss of a loved one? So this got me thinking, you know, in Buddhism, we're always talking about suffering and the word suffering, we, we, we discuss it in the context of three different types of suffering, the suffering of suffering, which is essentially pain, right? Like a broken bone, the suffering of loss when we lose a loved one or a job or we're nostalgic for the past, like that's the suffering of loss. And then there's this third type of suffering that we talk about often, which is all pervasive suffering. And it got me thinking, what if what we really have is just an error in word choice? You know, we, it's like we're jumping through hoops, trying to make the word suffering work for a concept or an idea that maybe the problem with suffering is the word itself, the word suffering, and what that word means to us. And we know that to some extent that's absolutely true, because in the original teachings, what uh, is being talked about as suffering doesn't necessarily mean suffering. The, the actual word is dukkha, uh, but you can't take an idea from one language and then explain the idea in another language without translating the word. So right there from the very get-go, you have the first problem. Which word do we choose? And unfortunately, in our case, the word that has been most commonly used is suffering. And the problem with concepts and ideas and words you know, everything is just a concept. It's all stories. So they're inherited from our society, from our culture, from our religion, from our families, 
but including and especially words, the words themselves. So suffering is a word that has meaning, and we've inherited that meaning. You know, somebody at some point described what suffering is to you, but imagine how would someone describe suffering to you without using any words? How would you convey that to another person to help them understand what it is to suffer? We can't really do that. You could feel it and then and then recognize, oh, this is that feeling that they're talking about. But suffering is a word. And so we're kind of stuck with the meaning that society has given us for what that word means. And that's the problem we run into with every word, the, whether it's enlightenment uh, or, or suffering. So just to address that a little bit, um, I, I think what we, what we really want to get at, the word dukkha, we know has other translations and scholars have since talked about, you know, maybe using a different word like unsatisfactoriness. And, and that's a word that lately I've been using more in my mind. I, I like that, the idea of unsatisfactoriness. But going back really quick to enlightenment, it's the same problem, right? The idea of enlightenment is a story. So thinking you are enlightened, well, that's just a story. And thinking that you're not enlightened, well, that's also just a story. And I love the koan that I've talked about before, the gateless gate, where Manjushri is, is being asked to enter this gate, and he sees no need to enter the gate because he doesn't see himself as being outside. And that, to me, is a really profound understanding of this concept or, or this idea of enlightenment. How can you enter a space that you're not outside of, right? It's, it's impossible. How can I enter a room if I'm already in that room? And that is the teaching in this koan of the, of the gateless gate. And think of the implication of that profound lesson when you apply it to something like the concept of enlightenment. So going back to the original question that someone was asking me, would an enlightened person, it's like, okay, well, we got to stop there. What is an enlightened person to you? Because we may not be seeing that the same. I don't think there's such a thing. I think the whole concept of enlightened is it's just a concept. And I think a lot of people get hung up on concepts and ideas like enlightenment and, and, and like with suffering, which is what I wanted to talk about in this episode. We know we can't stick with the original word because we don't even know what that means unless someone tells us, well, what does, you know, translate the word for me? Well, now you've got the problem. You open up the can of worms. So I would like to uh, have us consider for a moment unsatisfactoriness as a more appropriate word that we could use. And I understand that it's difficult to do this because anytime someone comes along and says, well, wait, what if this word makes more sense? Others will say, well, now you're changing the whole thing. And I ran into this when I was writing my book, uh, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, and I was talking about the Four Noble Truths and the concept of, of suffering and that, uh, you know, because we talk about how in life there is suffering. And then later you're talking about a way to end suffering. But these concepts are really difficult to use if you're limited with your understanding of the word suffering. So what I was trying to help the uh, my publisher understand is that when I'm referring to suffering here, I'm referring to the Buddhist understanding of suffering, which is all pervasive su suffering, which if somebody in Western society thinks of the word suffering, and then you talk about the idea of eliminating suffering, you're running into a whole lot of problems here because first you have to unpack what suffering actually means from the Buddhist perspective rather than what suffering means to, an, to the average Western way of thinking. 
But I couldn't get around that. I couldn't interject other words because the publisher said, well, the most common way that uh, Buddhists talk about uh, dukkha is suffering. So you're just going to use the word suffering. And that's what I was limited to. So in a way, my hands were tied. And it's like, okay, well, I'll explain this concept using the only words that um, I'm allowed to use. And in this case, suffering was one of those words. So again, I was presented with the problem of suffering, where the problem of suffering is the word itself. <laughs> so I feel a sense of discomfort or unsatisfactoriness at times in my life. And that's separate, separate from what I feel when I'm feeling suffering. And in that sense, I like to remember it's totally okay. There's no problem with, with experiencing suffering. I experience suffering at times in life, and that's okay. That's not the problem. The only problem with suffering is when we think we shouldn't experience suffering. Or even worse, we think there's some magical way to eventually avoid or eliminate suffering altogether. And that's a problematic thought. That's a problematic uh, concept or belief or idea to hold unless you start unpacking a lot of things in there. Well, what does suffering actually mean? And there's just not a way to eliminate suffering in the general sense that we think of suffering. So I wanted to discuss that a little bit in this podcast episode. You know, I think we should quit striving to only feel good in our lives. And instead, we should strive to be good at feeling feeling whatever it is that we're feeling. Instances of suffering are uh, a great invitation to pause in that moment and really pay attention to what we're feeling. And, and here's something that's interesting to me with this problem of the word suffering. It, it's known in the story of the Buddha that when the Buddha attained enlightenment, he came to understand that he was it. He was the source of all his dukkha, all of his unsatisfactoriness. Well, what does that tell me? Uh, when I'm experiencing any form of unsatisfactoriness in my life, I can look inward and I can try to explore and say, what does this say about me? If I'm the source of, uh, of what I'm feeling, then where did, where did all this start? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What stories do I have in my mind that affect me experiencing the specific emotion that I'm experiencing? And I don't think suffering fits in that whole description because we know in, in, in the story of the Buddha that when he was old and the night before, or, the, or I don't remember if it was the night before, but not long before he passed away, he had eaten something that caused him a lot of pain and he was experiencing like stomach cramps and, and it talks about that. So here you have the example of someone who's suffering. So it's odd thousands of years later that somebody would have this concept in their mind of enlightenment and ask the question, well, could an enlightened person feel pain? It's like, well, of course, you know, here we have the, the story of the Buddha where he ate something and his stomach was causing him a lot of pain. And he was probably holding his stomach the way we would if we were feeling pain. And, and it wouldn't have occurred to someone to be like, hey, wait a second, aren't you enlightened? Why is that hurting? Because back then they would have thought enlightenment and suffering like those aren't that's not the, the right correlation to think that an enlightened person doesn't experience suffering. And ironically, in our day and age, that is the exact word that's used to correlate to enlightenment, thinking somebody who's learned to transcend suffering is someone who's enlightened. And that's just very problematic to me because we're, we're messing with words that the, the words are the problem there. I don't think that's the right way to think of it. So unsatisfactoriness to me, that's a whole different thing. I can be experiencing pain 
and it can be an unsatisfactory experience. And it's that unsatisfactoriness that I think that's something I have to work with because I could also be feeling pain or, or, or loss and with a sense of satisfaction, uh, not meaning that I like it, but for example, when I think about the suffering I'm going to experience at the loss of a loved one, I mentioned this not long ago in a podcast, but at the thought of my children dying or at the thought of my parents passing away, I experience a sense of, of loss, a, a sense of discomfort around the pain that I'm going to inev inevitably feel when that moment finally comes. But what I don't feel is aversion to that pain. I, I'm not going out of my way to mask those feelings of discomfort. And when the time comes, I'm going to uh, allow myself to feel in the broadest sense and in, in the widest range of that feeling, every single emotion that's going to flood into my mind and into my heart when I'm going through that difficult stage. And, and that's the difference. I feel like there may have been a time where I would be doing everything possible to avoid that discomfort. And now I'm not afraid of it. I don't have an aversion to it. To me, that is what Buddhism as a practice is trying to get us to do, to be really good at feeling, not to be really, not to just be feeling good. And in that sense, the unsatisfactoriness associated with the pain and suffering of losing a loved one, that's what goes away. There's no sense of unsatisfactoriness there. In fact, I will probably feel quite alive at that moment of that intense emotion that I'll be experiencing, because those are the moments where you cherish life, right? When you're taught, when you're looking at the face of death uh, or confronted with the concept of death because of a loved one who just passed away, man, those are the moments we feel most alive. Our priorities get totally shifted and rearranged and things that mattered suddenly don't matter. And it's a beautiful time to just feel, to just feel it all. And in that moment, I, I don't think that there's that sense of unsatisfactoriness. And that's what I wanted to get at with the the problem with suffering is the word suffering itself. What if we got rid of that concept and thought what uh, what we're really dealing with is unsatisfactoriness in life? There are times when we have a sense of of unsatisfactoriness, and and then when you take in the four noble truths and apply it with that definition in your mind, it all makes so much more sense. At least to me, you know, the acronym of ELSA, where uh, E is embracing the instance of suffering or the instance of unsatisfactoriness. So here this thing happens and suddenly I just embrace, oh, this is what I'm feeling. So that's E. The L is letting go of the uh, habitual reactivity or the instinctive reactivity. So it's like, here's this thing that happened and boom, I start spiraling. I feel this, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that, so I'm going to say this. Like that chain, I'm breaking it by just letting it, letting it be, observing it which is what the S is in the acronym. S is seeing the stopping of the reactivity. It's recognizing, wow, that felt really unpleasant, which made me feel this way, which made me start to say this, and then I was able to pause, and I see in that moment the stopping of the reactivity and the spiral, you know, rather than spiraling down, I just stopped. And, I, and I'm letting myself feel everything that I'm feeling, which leads to the most powerful part of the entire process, the A in the acronym, which is act skillfully. 
you know, I may have acted unskillfully three or four steps into this to reach the point where now this fourth step in this chain of reactivity, that is going to be more skillful than it would have been had I not been practicing this way of life uh, of, of trying to be mindful. I hope that makes sense to you guys. That's definitely how I see it. And that's how I experience it working in my own day-to-day -day life. Um, I experience moments of unsatisfactoriness all the time. It's inevitable as a parent, as a spouse, as a, an employee, as a person who drives in traffic, as a person who deals with uh, navigating Facebook. Like There's just no way around this. But the unsatisfactoriness, that's different than suffering and saying, oh, I shouldn't feel suffering. That's different. When I'm feeling a sense of unsatisfactoriness, I can pause and say, huh, why does this bother me so much? Using Facebook as the example, right? Somebody posts something and you're like, oh, and you feel this pit in your stomach. You can pause and say, huh, why does that bother me so much? And that mental exploration can lead to uh, an understanding of the causes and conditions that led to the unsatisfactoriness. It can lead to the a pausing in the reactivity. Suddenly you catch yourself not needing to reply or comment on that post and, and then you act more skillfully and suddenly there, you did it. You, you applied the ELSA acronym in your day-to-day -day life and it was never about suffering. It was about the unsatisfactoriness. So that's something I wanted to highlight. It would it would make so much more sense to a lot of people if we just didn't even use the word suffering when we're talking about this. If instead we had another word like anguish or unsatisfactory or something. I don't know. For right now, that seems like the best word, but I don't know. Maybe another word will make more sense. And while we're kind of on this topic, uh, I was talking to my son, Raiko. Uh, we just got, uh, my wife just bought a computer, a laptop that she's using to run the software for one of her dance competitions and it's a gaming laptop it needed whatever gaming laptops have so my son Raiko who loves computers and gaming he saw it and and said why can't I use that one instead of the the normal computer we use and that got us on the topic of computers and in that conversation I said isn't it interesting to know that that computer and the other one because that one's a PC and the one we have a uh, that he uses is normally is a Mac and I said, isn't it interesting that the hardware, the components that make a computer a computer are essentially the same, but the software makes these two entirely different systems. They work differently. And the PC cannot help but to be a PC because of the software that makes its operating system. And the Mac cannot help to but to be a Mac because that's the software. And I said, I was telling Ryko, we're like that. We're like those computers where... We inherit a software that's installed in us little by little from the moment we're born. And that's the language that you speak. That's your operating system. The ideas and the beliefs that you have, that's part of your operating system. The societal norms and views uh, from simple little things like a green light means go and a red light means stop. Like those concepts, those ideas, that's part of the software. And at the end of the day, you have these little computers running around that think that they're, you know, what really makes me me is all these, all my software and fail to recognize, no, you're not your software. You're, you're all the hardware, your genetics and DNA, and, and those interact and contribute with the software too, right? But in, in essence, what I'm trying to get at is I'm hydrogen and I'm oxygen and I'm uh, all these other materials that make me me, 
but my software that's programmed in me, I can't help that. That's just what it is. And it's changed and evolved over time, sure, but I can't just take it and, you know, reboot and install new software and suddenly I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't have the, uh, you know, the words to speak English and Spanish. Suddenly I'm just, I only understand Chinese culture. Like it doesn't work that way. I could learn and adapt another culture, but I can't stop being what I already am. And talking to Raiko about that, it really, it really helped me feel like that's hitting home on some of these concepts that we explore in Buddhism, where we're just programmed. And the idea of stories, and especially the idea of eliminating suffering, that's just a story. And if you believe it, you're going to continue to experience suffering on one level, because it's inevitable, and then on a deeper level, because you're experiencing something that you don't want to experience or you, or that you don't think you should be experiencing. And that just aggravates it. Why not just stay on the first level that when you experience suffering, you just experience it. Like any emotion, when I'm feeling it, I'm just feeling it and I'm allowing myself to feel that. And that's what I wanted to get at with this concept and this idea of the problem with suffering. And I want to be clear that I, I mean, I don't particularly like to suffer it's unpleasant. Uh, I'm not trying to say, hey, what you should do in all this practice is uh, learn to accept suffering and go suffer. No. But what I'm saying is in those instances of, of unsatisfactoriness, of, of feelings that are unpleasant, those are moments that can be a beautiful reminder of how alive we are and how unique it is to, that we can feel something so intensely and be aware of the fact that we're feeling something so intensely. So my goal with this, with all of this, uh, it's, it's to be really good at feeling, feeling every range of emotion that will arise uh, at every stage of life for me. And I don't want to just feel good. Um, sure, that's a pleasant thing, and, and it's nice to feel good, but I want to, I, I, I want to enjoy the full range of emotions as they arise, the emotions that arise when I lose loved ones when I uh, win, you know, little uh, happy moments in life where uh, you get something new or uh, I get to go flying or I get to see my kids succeed at something like it's the full range, not just the, the difficult and uncomfortable stuff, but to fully feel the pleasant and the comfortable stuff too, the moments of, of happiness and joy uh, along with the moments of sadness or sorrow. And that's what I wanted to get at with the problem of suffering. And that's all I have for this podcast episode. As always, thank you for listening. And if you want to support the work I'm doing with the podcast, consider becoming a patron and joining the online community where we discuss these koans and the podcast episodes and more. Uh, and you can learn more about that by visiting secularbuddhism.com. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, give it a rating in iTunes, share it with others. Uh, but that's all I have for now, and I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. But before I go, here is your Zen koan to work with between now and the next podcast episode. In early times in Japan, bamboo and paper lanterns were used with candles inside. A blind man visiting a friend one night was offered a lantern to carry home with him. I do not need a lantern, he said. Darkness or light, it's all the same to me. I know you don't need a lantern to find your way, his friend replied. But if you don't have one, someone else may run into you. So you must take it. 
The blind man started off with a lantern, and before he had walked very far, someone ran squarely into him. Look out where you're going, he exclaimed to the stranger. Can't you see this lantern? Your candle has burned out, brother, replied the stranger. That's all I have for this podcast episode. Until next time.